My wife, uh, Jenny, and I lived in Louisville, Kentucky from 2005 to 2008, and uh, I was the college uh, and young adults pastor at a church called Southeast there, and I'm so thankful uh, that we spent three years in Louisville. It was really a great experience uh, for me, a great experience for us, a great church uh, to be a part of and to learn from, but the truth is that it never really felt like home for us. Um, it really felt more like a, a temporary assignment of sorts. And I think we had been living in Louisville for a year or so when we started praying, Jenny and I started praying for God to do one of two things. That, that first of all, that uh, we prayed that God would take away that temporary feeling so that we could really settle in for the long haul. Or the second prayer we prayed is that he would call us to a long-term assignment uh, somewhere else, a place where we could raise our kids, a place, uh, a church with people of all ages somewhere that could be home for us for a really little, really long time. And one little bonus we kind of added to that prayer is that our preference would be the Indianapolis area. You ever do that with God? Like you give him the big request and you just kind of add that one little detail in there. That's what we did. And so we kept praying and uh, we kept serving. And I think we had been living in Louisville for more than a couple of years when one weekend we made a trip to Fort Wayne to visit Jenny's family. And this is really Jenny's story to tell, but I don't think I can get her up here on stage to tell it for you. But uh, we were passing through the Indy area. Jenny was driving. I was in the back with two uh, young boys in the back of the van, just trying to keep them entertained. And Jenny was praying with her eyes open, of course, because she's driving. Uh, but she was praying and she was praying about these two things. Again, either that Louisville would become a home for us or that God would open a new door. And she could take you to the spot, all right, to the place where she heard the Lord saying to her, be patient. I've got this. I'm working this out. I'm going to take you to a new home very soon. And no joke, I grabbed this picture to show you the place where she heard the Lord speak this into her own heart and own life. It's near that little little furniture store called Ikea, right? I mean, maybe you've heard, it, uh, heard of it, but uh, exit 205. And again, a really special moment for her, a really special moment for the two of us. And uh, just as the Lord spoke to Jenny in that moment, it couldn't have been too many months later that Jenny and I uh, were in the car again on our way home from Panama City, Florida, where we had been serving at a youth conference. And we were driving through Birmingham, Alabama, and there was this monsoon of a rainstorm going on. And so we had pulled over to the side of the road to kind of wait it out. And I decided to check my voicemail. And I had a voicemail message. And I, I, I listened to that voicemail message. And, and there was a guy on the other end by the name of Steve Wallen. And Steve is our executive pastor today, but 12 years ago, he was working in the corporate world and was the chairman of the elder team. And so he just left this message saying, hey, we'd love to get to know you. We'd love to introduce you to Genesis. We're looking for a lead pastor. And I put down the phone to tell Jenny. And she started to get emotional in that moment as she said, this is it. This is what we have been praying for. Like, this is the Lord uh, moving us to, to a new place. And so, sure enough, in August of 2008, Jenny and Joel and Luke and a two-month-old Kate at the time, we, we moved to Noblesville. And here we are 12 years later, and we have no doubt that this is where God called us. We love calling Central Indiana our home. We love being a part of this great Genesis family. And we're so thankful. We are so thankful for the last 12 years uh, and for this church. And just so we don't forget, a friend of ours who knows this story, uh, she gave us this little gift about a year or so ago, and it sits on a nightstand uh, next to our bed just as a reminder every day of God's faithfulness and his calling upon our family. 
Uh, if you're new with us today, we're continuing in a series called Greater. Uh, the title comes from John chapter 3, verse 30, where John the Baptist says of Jesus that he must become greater and we must become less. All right, if we're going to truly live for the Lord in this world, that he has to be the great one. All right, and that every day is about you and I becoming less and less. And so we're using this series to walk through the story of a man named Abram, or as he later becomes known, Abraham. And his story is found in the first few pages of our Bibles in the book of Genesis. And as Steve talked about last week, it's a story of great faith. It's a story of great sacrifice and a story of great surrender. And alongside of Abraham's story, we're looking at what we believe the Lord has been preparing for us as a church for Genesis and what he wants for us in this next season of our existence. And over the past 17 years of ministry as a church, God has blessed Genesis over and over again. He's been faithful and in so many incredible ways. And because we've been blessed, as we talked about last week, we have this responsibility to be a blessing to others here in this world. And so last week, we showed you a video of this vision for our church we're calling Greater. It's on our website. If you haven't had a chance to see it yet, I hope you'll take a moment maybe even today or this week to watch it. But in case you missed it, uh, you also should have received, whether last week or even today, what we're just calling our greater booklet. If you have one of these with you, uh, it's great information about this vision. It's also a place for you to take notes each week of the series. But if you have that with you and you want to flip over to page nine, pages eight and nine for a moment, I want to just take a moment and give you kind of a high level overview once again of this greater vision. One of the goals, one of the two goals with this greater vision is to raise $7.5 million over the next two years to do three things. All right, three things for us as a church that make up this $7.5 million goal. The first is we want to keep making disciples. All right, that really is our lifeblood. That is our engine as a church. And so this $4.2 million goal is our general operating budget for the next two years. Now, right now, our annual operating budget is about $1.8 million a year times two, $3.6 million over two years. Why the increase? Our church is growing. All right, good things are happening. Lots of people coming. As Jerry talked about, our Gen Kids ministry is growing. And so the needs are increasing. And so raising $4.2 million over the next two years will allow us to keep doing what we do every single day and every single week. All right, helping kids, helping send kids to camps and uh, to conferences, supporting our outreach partners, uh, paying the lease payments on our facilities, paying staff salaries. All right, we call this making disciples. The second thing is that we want to reach our cities, and we still feel called to both Noblesville and to Carmel. And right now, finding a new home for our Noblesville campus is our most urgent need. And so we're praying and believing that we can raise $3 million as a church to build a new Noblesville campus, as well as make some needed improvements here to our growing Carmel campus. Now, $3 million doesn't build a new building for us, but it is a substantial investment towards a new facility. And I'll add this, we love our Carmel location. We can't think of a greater place to serve than this roundabout that we are situated on, but we're going to outgrow this building, all right? Or we're going to need to expand this building in the future. And so we're already praying about next steps, all right? Not only for our Noblesville campus, but our Carmel campus too. And so while the primary building project for now focuses on our Noblesville campus, we know that we're going to be having this conversation as an entire church specifically concerning our Carmel campus in the near future as well. And the last piece of the greater vision is we want to keep changing the world. 
all right, that it's not just about what we're doing here, but it's about how we can come alongside and partner with other ministries that are serving God around the world. And so we want to invest an additional $300,000 over the next two years to help meet the needs of some ministry partners like ICF Church in Albania. Uh, also, we see this as an opportunity to partner with our local schools, schools like Noblesville and Carmel and Westfield, and to help them meet some of the overlooked needs that they have uh, for our students right now. And finally, we love what God is doing at Genesis with adoption and through foster care and things like safe families. And so we also see this as an opportunity to establish some sort of fund that will be able to help with these needs in some way. I think it's important to note here, I don't want us to be confused that this $300,000 is in addition to what we're already giving away as a church to outreach partners. So that's it, seven and a half million over two years. Or as my daughter Kate said one day, seven and a half million dollars, that's a lot of money. I was like, Kate, you need to go to your room, all right? I decided I don't need to hear it from you right now. But, uh, but seven and a half million dollars, we're trusting the Lord, all right? Seven and a half million dollars to do everything we feel like the Lord is calling us to do over the next two years. But that's only the secondary goal. Because if you're following along there, the primary goal, as we said last week, is 100% engagement. Because the truth is this, we won't hit our goal unless everyone gets on board. Uh, I believe that if we're gonna meet this goal that the Lord has for us, it's gonna take every single one of us just simply opening up our lives and saying to the Lord, God, what do you want to do through me? With what you have given to me, with what you have trusted me with, how do you wanna use me in the next couple of years of Genesis Church to be a part of this greater vision in some really big ways. And it's not just a fundraiser. I mean, I know it seems like that. I know it smells like that, but it's about people coming to Christ, All right, This is about people growing in Christ. Like we have an assignment as a church, as Christ followers, we've been given this assignment, a, a greater purpose. All of us, every single one of us, we're citizens of heaven, as we talked about just in the last few weeks. We are a family on mission together with this assignment of helping people find their way back to God, all right? And so we're trusting him, we're believing in him, all right, for this, and I uh, hope that you will do the same, hope that you'll be praying with us. Now, if you got a Bible, uh, take it and turn to the book of Genesis. Again, it's the first book in the Bible, so we all should be able to get there today. Uh, open to Genesis 12. Uh, if you want to use one of the Bibles around the room, I think it's about page 8. Uh, we'll also put these words on the screen, but uh, uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're telling Abram's story because he's a really important hit person in the history of human civilization when you think about it. I mean, even today, nearly 4 billion people on this planet would point Point to Abram as one of the founders of their faith. All right, and so even though, as we're going to see, God, Abraham wasn't perfect, God is certainly going to use him in some pretty significant ways. And I think, isn't that what we all want? I mean, really? I mean, if we just start from this place today, like, don't, don't you want to get to the end of your life and know that it counted for something? Like that it was more than just paying bills or taking up space or, or working a job, but like we, we want our lives to count for something. And if you've ever thought that before, if that's ever resonated with you, Abram's a good model. 
He's a great story, and we've got so much to gain from it. Again, if you've got those uh, greater booklets, turn over to page 19. There's a place to take notes each of the week of, uh, of this series. It's a great tool to take to your connection groups, again, to bring back with you each week. Today's message is entitled Greater Trust. All right, we're talking about greater trust. And if trust uh, or faith in God is something that you struggle with, you've ever struggled with, be encouraged because we're going to see today in this man's life that he, his life wasn't just this uninterrupted string of one success after another. He was human and he made a lot of mistakes along the way. And last week we started in the first verses of Genesis 12 and God calling Abram to pick up his family, everything that he's ever known and relocate and move to a new place. And he didn't do that through, uh, for 3,000 years ago. But check out this map. Here's what God's calling Abram and his family to do, to move from Ur of the Chaldeans, which we would know as Mesopotamia or modern-day Iraq, and eventually move to the promised land, as the Old Testament refers to it, Israel that we know today, that this was a new home for Abram and his family. And so you can imagine they're on their way from Mesopotamia to, again, what we know as Israel today. And look at what happens when they get there. All right, look at what happens when they arrive. Genesis 12, beginning in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. All right, so just to rewind, last week God says, Abram, I want you to pick up everything you've ever known, all right? And people back then, again, they didn't move, they didn't relocate like we do today. And I want you to go to this new land that I will show you. Abram steps out in faith, not completely sure where they're headed, and then a famine overcomes them in their new home. And isn't that how life works sometimes? Yeah, I mean, you've ever been in any moments or any situations, circumstances in life? You're just trying to be faithful, all right? You're just trying to do the right thing, demonstrate a little courage, and you take a step with God, and bam, the famine strikes. I, I can think of some examples, maybe not as extreme, but so many examples where this has been true in my life. And uh, even with all of the confirmation uh, and moving from Louisville to Genesis, there were plenty of challenges uh, we, we moved here and it didn't take long for me to discover how inexperienced I was and how much I had to learn in a new role and leading a church started to take its toll on me uh, pretty fast. And I, I would say the stress and the anxiety was probably most evident in my inability to get a really good night's sleep. And I don't know if this describes you or not. I had no problems falling asleep. It was staying asleep. And so like waking up six, seven, eight times a night, it got so bad that I ended up in a sleep lab. And maybe some of you have done this before or known somebody that's done this, but you, you go to this lab and they put all of these wires and probes on you and then you fall asleep uh, in this room while some stranger sits in another room and monitors you all night, which isn't weird at all, by the way. And uh, so I can remember doing this. I remember the next morning he came in to wake me up again, not weird at all. And uh, he said to me, he said, well, I got good news and I got bad news. Uh, the good news is this. There's nothing wrong with you. The bad news is this. You got to learn how to sleep, man. I mean, you just need to figure out how to get a good night's sleep. Abram is just trying to follow God. But now there's a famine. 
which means he and his family have got to detour to Egypt because it's the only place that they can find food. Verse 11, it says, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. In other words, Abram says, you know what? I'm so scared that I'm willing to give you up in marriage to someone else so that my life might be spared. Now, we might call that lack of faith or how you end up on the Jerry Springer show. I mean, that just, again, that's just kind of how it works. But like, isn't it ironic? I mean, just a few verses earlier, God comes out of nowhere and speaks to Abram. Like, that had to be significant. And now, Abram, you can't trust God to keep you alive and keep your wife from marrying an Egyptian against her will. I mean, how can someone who has a major encounter with God one day come back later and doubt his promises? Oh, wait, I do that every day, right? I mean, do you? I mean, isn't it true? Like, we all stumble. And and this isn't the only stumbling point for Abram either. I mean, in Genesis 16, we're going to see him get tired of waiting on God's promise to give him his son, so he decides to have sex with the servant of the house. In chapter 17, God reappears to Abram and promises to give him a son and to make his offspring into a great nation. And Abram laughs at God. The father of our faith scoffs at the face of God. In chapter 20, Abram has an interaction with another king and once again lies about Sarai being his sister. You heard me right. He's going to same, make the same mistake. He's going to do it a, a, a second time. I'm just telling you, if you ever want to feel better about yourself, read this guy's story. Like, I mean, you just read his story. You're going to feel pretty good about what you've done and accomplished. The point is he's not a superhero. But even with his imperfections, we can learn a lot about, a lot from his story because faith and trust, it's something we learn. Like you, you learn it. It's something we all grow in together. It takes time. And, and Abram is an imperfect man learning to trust in God. There are four lessons I, I want to share with you today. Four lessons that I think we can see in Abram's story of trust and what we can learn about having greater trust, not only as a church, but really what it means for us individually. And again, remember in verse 10, there's a famine and God's gonna use this famine to force Abram and his family uh, to a new home off in Egypt, a place where there's gonna be some fear, a place where they're gonna be forced to trust in God in deeper ways. And I think that's lesson number one from our story. And that is that God grows our faith by testing it. Uh, he grows our faith by testing it. You know, uh, when you think about it, life's, life's tests will, will do any number of things to you. They will either try your faith or they're going to strengthen your faith. Uh, think, think about it like a muscle. I mean, faith is like a muscle. If you want to build up muscle, you lift weights, right? You, you put them through the pain and the stress to tear down the muscle so that it grows back stronger. Faith is like that too. It needs to be tested, uh, it needs to be strained in order to grow. And, and I don't know, maybe, maybe in some way that's an encouragement for some of you here this morning. To even just hear this, that if any of you feel like you're going through a struggle of your own right now, uh, you've been praying and waiting on God. I mean, maybe you would describe your situation and your circumstances a lot like a famine in the land. I just want you to know that God can use what you're going through right now to strengthen your faith, to strengthen your trust. And that just means that he can use any disappointment. Uh, he can use unanswered prayer. Uh, he can use a, a broken relationship, a divorce, 
Uh, he can use the death of a loved one, uh, financial stress. He can even use a bad health report to strengthen your faith. Uh, I, I want to share with you the story of one family in our church who had their faith tested by some difficult circumstances uh, and how God used it to increase their faith and trust in him. Check this out. My diagnosis was um, I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, I had two different types of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was in my abdomen, my pelvis, my liver, all my long bones, and my spine. Um, they told me that the cancer was incurable, and um, I told them it was not. God has always been a very important part of my life and probably the first and foremost part of my life. But I, I always spent time reading the Bible, praying, uh, I always went to church, and I always, I, always, I always put God first, at least in my heart. And I was reading the Bible every day, and, and I remember just praying to God, and I was just like, God, I have this wonderful life, I have this wonderful husband and these wonderful kids, and we have no worries in the world, and I was like, I just, I feel like I need something else in my life. I was like, I feel like I need something, you know, or, you know, some, I need something in my life. So um, a couple weeks after that, um, that's when I got the cancer diagnosis. I told them that, um, that it was going to be cured. And they kept, you know, they told me my course of action. And they told me that I was supposed to have radiation. And they told me that after the radiation, that I would not be um, able to have kids anymore. So, and my doctor and I kind of played a little game <laughs> where I said, where I would tell him that I knew that God had a plan for me and that God had another uh, child for me and that, um, that I wasn't going to need the radiation. I wasn't going to have the radiation. And he kept saying, oh, but Stacy, you are <laughs> going to have to have the radiation. There's no way this is going to be cured and you don't have any more hope for any more children. It's really amazing the peace that he gave me. I was, I, I remember talking to him and saying, God, I know you're gonna heal me. Like that thought never even like crossed my mind that he wasn't gonna heal me. I was, I, I said, God, I'm concerned that I'm not gonna do with this what you want me to do with this. I was like, I am somebody who hasn't lived a life for you my whole life. I, you know, I don't even deserve, I, I, I actually said, I don't deserve this cancer. Like, why are you, why are you, you know, um, why, why are you using me to do this? You know, I was like, he must, you know, I knew he must trust me. So I was like, so I'm worried that you're not going, that I'm not going to use this the way that you want me to use this. Definitely helped, helped both of our faiths, I think. I mean, we, we both fully believed that God, that God would, would heal her. Um, we, we never really had, had the doubt from the beginning. At first, I did not like that my hair was going to fall out. And I remember praying to God, like, please don't let my hair fall out. But then I remember thinking, I have to let my hair fall out, otherwise nobody's going to know what I'm going through. After that, I just felt so free, but not only that, but I was able to go around and people would then notice, um, you know, that I did have cancer and I was able to use my not having any hair as an opportunity to, to share, uh, share um, God with others that I would not have been able to if I had still had my hair. So I would, no matter where I went, I had people come up to me all the time. Um, just to, you know, tell me, you know, say something to me to try to encourage me. And I was able to share God with those people.
When we came to Genesis, I had had my last treatment the week before we came. Three months later, I had to go in for a PET scan to um, see where, where we were in our whole um, treatment. He was scanning, and he's scanning, and he's scanning, and he looked up, he goes, Stacy, it's, it's all gone. You know, I don't see anything. He goes, you look 100% back to, you know, you look 100% back to normal. About a year and a half after I had my last treatment, um, I noticed some changes that had came back. And my oncologist was like, well, you need to go see your OB before you come see me. She goes, Stacy, you know, like, I don't know how to tell you this, but you know, you're in perimenopause and you don't have any more eggs. And I remember thinking, oh, that's fine. <laughs> and I hung up and I was like, and I remember thinking, oh my, she probably thinks I'm crazy. But I just thought this is another way that God's going to prove that this is him and this is not anybody else. Like he is going to prove and this is going to happen. And all these doctors keep telling me I, it's not going to happen. And I know that it's going to happen. Six months after that, I end up in her office pregnant. <laughs> so that's how faith came to be. What were you doing? Huh? Are you ready? Faith was born after my cancer diagnosis, after I was healed, and after um, my perimenopausal diagnosis. After I um, found out I was pregnant, I was super, ex super excited that God had um, kept his promise to me and that we were showing everybody that he was real. God put the name Faith in my head. And I thought, well, that's not a name that I would ever have picked out. I knew then that that's what I was supposed to name her, that her name was going to be Faith, um, and that I would be able to forever tell my story because of her name. We are the Joseph family. And we want God to be greater. And we want to be less. Will you join me? Can we just celebrate that great story? I love that story and their faith. And if you know the Joseph family, man, their, their enthusiasm is contagious. And uh, if you haven't met them, uh, boy, be sure to, to meet them. They, they call the Carmel campus uh, their home. Now, um, I, I think the Josephs would tell you that faith doesn't mean you get what you want that we always get what we want. I mean, for the Josephs, God gave them the faith, though, to believe that Stacy was going to be healed, and he gave them the faith to believe that they were going to have another baby. And so they hung on to their prom those promises. They hung on to them every day through all of the ups and downs. I just want to make sure you know and hear me say, we don't always get what we want, but God will use our difficult circumstances to grow our faith and trust in him every single time if we, learn, if we let him. And, and here's the second lesson we learned from Abram's story, that in testing our faith, sometimes God will bring us to the edge. Like he'll, he'll let us go to the brink with him. And we'll talk about this more in weeks to come. But one of the promises that God made to Abram in chapter 12 was to make him a father. But that's going to take 30 years, 30 years before that would happen. And he was already in the 70s when he received the promise. And so what was the purpose in making him wait? Like God could have given him a child right away, but but would that have produced 
the trust, like go back to the muscle illustration again. If you want to get stronger, you push your muscles to the max, right? Well, God knew that if Abram's faith was going to grow and be strong, that he needed to learn dependence. And only then would he grow in trust. And only then would he be able to grow in faith. And by the way, if God's going to do something great in you, uh, if he's going to do something great in our church, like you and I, we're going to need to grow in our faith. We're going to need to grow in our trust in him. And uh, maybe that's happening in your life right now. Uh, or maybe you find yourself in a season right now where you're praying and you're waiting on God and you're doing everything you can to trust him and to have faith in him. I, I, I just want to suggest something to you if you're not doing this already. And I'm, I'm speaking to myself here too, because even as I was writing this this week, I, I was reminded of how important this is of me. But instead of spending so much energy trying to figure out why something is happening or not happening in your life, Maybe two other questions that we should consider would be, number one, what's God doing here? And secondly, how does he want me to respond? What's my response? What's a faithful response look like in this moment? Because he may not have caused your pain, but again, he will use the pain of life to grow our faith and our trust in him no matter what we go through. You know, he's always there. He's a God that will sometimes lead us into the valley and provide for us there. He's a God that will go with us into the storms and protect us there. And he's in control and he loves you more than you and I could ever comprehend or ever imagine. The third lesson we learn is that our trust grows when we understand God's commitment to us. And we know that Abram eventually got this because years later, after God gave him a son, Isaac, God is going to ask Abram to sacrifice his own son. Now, we'll talk about this story in a couple of weeks as well, but, we, but think about this. Like any good father, Abram would have adored his son Isaac. And more than that, God was going to use, or at least as Abram believed, God was going to use Abram uh, to fulfill his promise of making Abram's family into this great nation. But, but do you know what Abram did when God called him to make this sacrifice? He marched up the mountain and he almost did it only to be stopped by God. Now, again, how does a guy like Abram, who's been throwing his wife under the bus, all right, how did he trust God to do what he was asked? I think I know. Look at Genesis 15, if you would, for just a second. Genesis chapter 15, skip over a few pages. This is the before the birth of Isaac and Abram is still waiting on God's promise and God tells Abram, I don't want you to be afraid. I've got this taken, uh, taken care of. And Abram's reply was kind of like, yeah, that's great and all, but I'm going to need a little bit more than that. I still don't have any kids. All right. And so God leads Abram outside at night and he tells him to look up into the sky and to see all the stars of, of the sky and it's the desert. And so you can imagine on a clear night, all of the stars to be seen and God says to him, as many as there are stars in the sky, so your descendants will be. And Abram believes him, but in the same breath really follows up with, well, how will I know? Like, how am I supposed to find confidence in this? And look at what happens. Genesis 15, verse 9, we read, so the Lord said to him, said to Abram, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. All right, nice. So this seems a little strange. 
strange, and we don't really have the time to get into the details of this, but let me just tell you this. Today, we simply sign our names as a contract, all right, as a way of making a promise, all right, any two parties. Well, instead of signing a contract, Ben, they would cut some animals open and then walk through the middle, each of them, this river of blood that would splash up on their robes, really as a symbol of saying that, hey, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, let what has happened here happen to my happen in my life as well. Like I'm pledging my life. Uh, in fact, the Hebrew word for covenant comes from the word cut. Verse 12, look what happens. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch, which represents the presence of God in this situation, appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, again, this is unusual because back in these days, when a king and a servant made a covenant like this, the servant would walk through the animals, but the king didn't have to because everyone just kind of expected that the king would always keep up his end of the deal. Now, in this particular occasion, though, the king walks through, the servant never does. Why? It's fascinating, really, because the king is promising to pay with his own blood no matter what happens to the covenant. Basically, if God fails to, to keep up his side, he'll pay with his own blood but if Abram fails to keep up his side, God pays with his blood too. I tell you this, I just want you to see what's happening here, that this gives us one of the clearest pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament. Because just like Abram fell into a deep sleep, the Bible says that we were dead in our own sins. And the Bible tells us that on the day that Jesus was crucified, the whole sky turned dark as blood flowed out of his side like a river. And so did God's son die because God didn't keep up his end of the bargain? No. He died because we didn't keep up ours. I didn't keep up mine. And so he took my sorrow. And he took my sin and he bore that burden on Calvary and he suffered and he died alone. And this promise this understanding of God's commitment is only going to help Abram grow in his trust and faith in God. And for us, knowing that Jesus Christ paid the price with his life for ours, for all of eternity, means we can trust him, we can put our faith in him for whatever life may bring us. I love these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I was reading these yesterday in my Bible. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, for Christ's love compels us. It gets in us. All right, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes all of life and it sets us free to live bold and courageous and faithful lives for him on this earth. Hey, be encouraged today. Be encouraged today, no matter how you may feel like you've messed up in life. Jesus paid the price. He gave his. 
I mean, if you're sitting here today thinking, you know what, I've messed up in my marriage. I mean, the wonderful truth is that Jesus paid the price. I mean, if you've, if you've messed up in your finances, if, you, if you're messed up with drugs or alcohol, like he's already paid the price for us. If you feel like you've disappointed people, if you've let your parents down, let others down, your friends down, you've not disappointed God. His blood, he paid the price for each of us. The last lesson for today is this from Abram's life, and that is that greater influence comes from greater trust. The more we trust him, the more influence he gives us as a church and as individuals, because Abram trusted God, God made him into a great nation. He was blessed to be a blessing. Friends, God wants to do the same through our church. He wants to give us greater influence, but that's gonna take each and every one of us each and every one of us taking the next step, growing in our faith and our trust in him. And the only way, the only way we're gonna grow in faith and trust and influence as a church is for every person here to grow in faith and trust in God. And I think this greater vision, I think these next weeks, these next couple of years are a perfect time for each of us to take the next step with God in our faith and in our trust. And one of the ways that we grow in faith and trust is by, by, by letting God speak to each of our hearts, you know, and making a commitment to this greater vision. Again, the words of John 3.30 are that he, that Jesus must become greater, I must become less. What does it mean for Jesus to take a greater place in your life with your faith in your marriage and all of your relationships right now, the way you see and view your finances? as well. You know, in this booklet, there's a, a card, uh, and you may actually have one of these greater commitment cards already. If not, they're available back at our, our greater booth. But in there, you'll see that there's a picture both of a gift chart and then the actual commitment page. And we're not filling this out today, but I'm going to ask you to keep praying, to pray about how God may want to use you and what's the next step he wants to take in your life? I mean, one of the things that you'll see over on the left-hand side there is that we need 750 gifts over the next couple of years. I think last year we had around 400 different people give to greater, but we have 750 households in our church. It's gonna take every one of us, every single one of us. All I'm asking for you is to pray, God, how do you wanna use me? What does it mean for Jesus to become greater in my life, for me to become less? How does God want to use you? I hope you'll be praying with us. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thanks for paying the price with your son, Jesus. Give us great faith. Give us great trust in you for all things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.